Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, Discipleship Pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again, because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Begin a series today um, entitled In Real Life, IRL. And what we're going to be doing with this series is examining really faith and technology um, and how these things work or sometimes don't work uh, well together. Um, as we begin this conversation, uh, first of all, I'm, always, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that you have joined us in reality and not in virtual reality. Uh, one of the things I like about that particular deal is if you caught on to it, you could actually dial down the conviction level if you wanted to. Um, that's a problem in this service. You can't really do that too well. Um, the whole idea of technology, virtual reality, the term virtual means almost or nearly as described, but not completely. As we get into this conversation today, I, I want to have a couple of disclaimers and clarifications up front. Um, there was a group of people in the early 19th century that were referred to as Luddites. Luddites um, is kind of a geeky term. What these individuals were is they were individuals who were concerned about the current technology, especially in the area of the textile industry, that they worked in. They were concerned that these machines were going to take away their livelihood and uh, remove their jobs, and in many cases it did. As a result of it, a Luddite is someone who is anti-technology. They sabotaged the machines. They actually were kind of techno-terrorists, if you will. 
um, and destroyed those things because they feared what was involved. I am not one of those people. Um, I have actually embraced and been an early adopter of technology from the time I was, I was quite young. Um, one of my ambitions as a kid growing up was to be uh, a space shuttle pilot of some type or another. And then when glasses came along the line when I was younger, I'd actually gone out to the, to the um, uh, Colorado Springs and to the Air Force Academy. I had my whole route planned out. And then I realized that they're not going to trust you with a billion-dollar shuttle with the chance that your uh, contact falls out or something else of that nature. And so my life got redirected off of that. One of the um, early things that intrigued me as a kid growing up was the television show Star Trek. I've referenced that before. I am not a Trekkie. They are weird, okay? I do not speak Klingon, have no idea, okay, of any of that junk. Um, but what caught me was the technology and um, the creativity. And so science fiction has been one of my genres. It was one thing that set me apart somewhat from my father. My father was very much into Westerns, uh, particularly an author named Louis L'Amour. And um, for me, it was sci-fi, and I think the reason why is because it was so creative. It, it could expand beyond what we knew, and it could explore other areas. And the creativity of it fascinated me. It intrigued me tremendously. Um, the genre has gone quite a bit beyond where I first embraced it. And... Um, I think there's some connecting points that I'm going to try to make for you here today as we get into this conversation to have you begin to view the way you're using technology and how that integrates and also to recognize that there is a spiritual component to it. And I'll be clear up front, technology, I think, like many things, even like drugs or alcohol or anything else, those items are generally neutral. It's how we use them. You can have a drug and used properly is as a healing element. Used improperly, we have the opiate uh, um, epidemic that's in place today. Um, and so technology itself, I think, is a neutral platform for the most part. I don't think that we view it as spiritual, and yet some of those who created it, I think, did, and I'll get into that in a moment. Back to the sci-fi Western film. There was a phenomenon that happened in 1949 that then um, exploded in '59 and then pretty much faded away by the late 60s. This phenomenon shaped American culture. Now, if you were watching television in that time period, there were uh, a series of TV westerns. I don't know how many of you would recognize uh, if I said the term Gunsmoke as a television show. Anybody recognize that at all anymore? There's enough of you that do. That's good. Talk to the other ones about it, all right? Uh, television shows like Cheyenne, The Lone Ranger, you know, The Rifleman. All these were Western television shows. Um, by 59, these became so popular that they dominated primetime television in this country. From 49 to the late 60s, there were over 100 series that aired on the networks. And again, for some of you who are younger, let's make it clear, there were only three networks, okay? So this is a phenomenal number, all right? 100 television shows that aired during that time. It was good versus bad. It was um, hero versus villain in the 19th century West. It was so specific that the good guys wore what kind of a hat? White hats. And in case we didn't catch it, the bad guys wore black hats. And those phrases even are used today 
um, by whatever generation you're part of. We talk about black hat, white hat, things of this nature, and don't even realize sometimes that it's related back to this time period. A lot more than that, though. The TV series of that time period in the Westerns helped define America as a nation. Westerns sought to teach the good values of honesty and integrity, of hard work and racial tolerance, of a determination to succeed in racial tolerance in the 50s and 60s. Most of the shows had those elements. Talked about a determination to succeed and justice for all. They were, in many sense, a modern morality play where heroes, strong, reliable, clear-headed, and decent, fought their adversaries in the name of justice. At the show's end, moral lessons had been taught and had been learned. And this genre shaped and reflected, in many ways, a value system that was in the country at that time. How does this link with sci-fi in this sense? When Gene Roddenberry first pitched Star Trek, He pitched it as, and and some of you might recall this old Western television show, it was one of the all-time classics, entitled Wagon Train. And it was a series of characters that were on this ongoing journey, and and the things would play out over time. When Roddenberry pitched Star Trek, this really avant-garde sci-fi thing, he pitched it as, quote, a wagon train to the stars. In other words, he says, this is basically a Western. This is basically the values that we have here of of loyalty and commitment to one another and community and racial tolerance, all these things, only we're packaging this in this new creative format. And so for me, growing up where I did, to engage in that type of science fiction or that kind of expansion of thinking wasn't a big leap value-wise. There was a connectivity. Now as time has gone on, the genre, as our technology has grown, as our um, civilization has changed, has detached itself from a lot of the values that we just talked about of loyalty, honesty, integrity, all these basic concepts that were so much. Now the genre is more about creating our own world. It's creating fantastic items which we detach ourselves from any baseline of morality or values or anything else, it's become extremely self-centered in the process. The technology itself is not necessarily, as I said, a a sinful issue. But how do we use this technology? I said that there's a spiritual component that at least those who created it are. Um, What you saw in that setting about virtual reality, there are actual churches right now, and I say that in quotes, that are virtual reality churches. That's not a joke. Now, they made it a joke, but there are people right now that will gather on a Sunday morning from around the planet, put on their visors, and they they log into a church where their avatars come and sit down in the place, and the pastor is in this one specific guy, happens to be in a trailer, I think, in California somewhere. He has actual uh, um, uh, sensors on his hands, the goggle there, and he actually addresses things and speaks to people from around the world as they gather into this virtual church at this specific time and have instruction, conversation, engagement. They are represented by their avatars. How many of you have heard that term before? Kind of strange if you haven't, 
Why the term avatars? Why not the term surrogates or, or uh, models? Or there, there's a thousand different terminologies you could use. But the term that is used is avatar. Now again, not a bad thing, and I'm not trying to imply that it is. What I want to try to capture for you is that those who created this had a spiritual concept in play. The avatar is actually drawn from Hinduism. It is literally the bodily incarnation of a deity on earth. That's what an avatar is. Um, the purpose of the avatar's manifestation is to restore dharma, or righteousness, to the cosmic and social order. Dharma encompasses behaviors such as duty, ritual, law, morality, ethics, good deeds, etc. Anything considered critical to maintaining natural order. There are three primary gods. There's actually millions of gods within Hinduism. But the, uh, um, the great trinity of those, uh, one of those is, is, is named Vishnu, which is considered the maintainer or preserver. And most avatars tend to be a representation of Vishnu, whose role is to be the maintainer of order and good. Realize that those who created this chose that name. Now, is that evil or wrong? You're, you know, it's got to be. It's Hinduism. Yeah, I'll give a pass on that for the moment and, and, and say what the intent was, though, to say here that we want to use this technology um, to restore righteousness or cosmic or social order, um, duty, ritual, morality, ethics, that maybe the motive, maybe the motive of those individual individuals was to say, look, it, if you can't do this in real life, maybe you can do this through this representation. In other words, there's some spiritual component that we're recognizing about our technology. There's an ability to change or transform things. And, and if you're going to engage in this, to recognize that spiritual component and, and to, to change the world. And this is a very central part to a lot of the technology and, and, and things that are coming out of, uh, of uh, Silicon Valley and, and that part of the world. This idea that we're going to change it, we're going to transform it. The difference is that the original values that were in the Westerns and shaped this country uh, and I would say we're reflective of, of certain biblical values even, and shaped the initial technological runs of sci-fi and things of this nature, were generally based upon a biblical baseline. This new morality is not. I'm not saying it's necessarily Hinduism, but it is definitely not Christian in its perspective. But it is caught up with the idea that we are creators, and have the ability to shape the world around us. That we have practically godlike capacity. And what are we going to do with that technology? And so this is entering in increasingly into the thought line and process of, of all that's being involved. How does it relate, let's just start off today even, with the idea of of church. Mickey referenced a scripture a couple of weeks ago that um, caught my attention. Third John chapter thirteen, or third John chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen A. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. I made a statement last year that I'd like to follow up again with. I said that, that God, you could argue, posted um, his word or his idea of salvation 
over a series of prophets, over a series of time through Scripture. We could argue putting it in our modern parlance. But despite the fact that he had posted those things, so to say, had written to us, he decides that's not sufficient. He comes in real life, IRL, he comes in real life in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the Word embodied. He comes and engages us face-to-face, in contact with one another. In the same way, the writer in John is saying, there's things I want to say to you, but I'm not even going to use the medium of, of pen and ink. I'm not going to go to my keyboard. I'm not going to go to this detached item. I need to have contact with you. I need you to hear my tone. I need you to see my face. I may need to touch you. There is some type of thing to communicate effectively that we need to do in real life, in person. Even the writing is too detached for this moment. When it comes to church, there's an increasing question as to how this is going to continue on. Because there's a point where we are becoming so autonomous and so detached that the idea of gathering even like this is a question mark. There are distorted images about the church. Um, The church is a gas station. Some people, it's a place where you you go and your spiritual tank is running low, you get a good sermon, and then you keep on running for the rest of the week as you're tanked up. The church is a movie theater for some. It's a place that offers entertainment. You go for an hour of escape. You sit in somewhat of a comfortable seat. You leave your problems at the door. You come out smiling and feeling better than when you came in. Church is a drugstore for others. A place where you can fill the prescription that will deal with your pain. And for many, the church is therapeutic in that sense. And we're here just to kind of make you feel better and and, and ease that hurt. Uh, Increasing view is the church is a big box retailer. Other people see the church as this place that offers the best products of clean, safe environment for you and your family. Church offers a great service at a low price, all in one stop. It's a producer of children's programs and things for young people and things of that nature. But really, what is the purpose of the church? What and how is it supposed to operate? Can we engage in this virtual thing? Is there something about, uh, the one thing that was said in the, in the virtual church is that some people actually have felt freer to talk and be real through their avatars in a way they wouldn't be in person, they're saying. I don't know if that's true or not. Acts chapter 2 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's a devotion to fellowship in real time. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching, that, that we shouldn't give up this kind of contact. First John chapter 4 says, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made completeness, that there's the capacity or ability as we come together to share love. Hebrews 3.13 says we're to encourage one another, and that, that in coming together we do that, that we're not hardened by sin. Chapter 10 of Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on, that, that we spur one another on toward love and good deeds and, and gathering. In Galatians 5.13 calls the brothers and sisters that you're called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather to serve one another, humbly. To serve one another. Romans talks about the competency to instruct one another. 
that we have that capacity and that this is a time to gather for instruction. Romans chapter 12 talks about not only being devoted in love, but to honor one another above ourselves. When I reference even the scripture that, that Mickey used, I'm in a way honoring his addressing and speaking and saying that I was listening and being instructed by him taking notes um, just as avidly as all of you are doing today. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Robert Bell, a world-famous professor of sociology at UC Berkeley, wrote the book Habits of the Heart. In an interview, he was asked this, Why is it so difficult for people to be connected and committed to one another in society today? He said, I think it's related to the strong emphasis in our society on individual autonomy and self-fulfillment, as if that were the top priority. The moment a person feels the group or the individual is not contributing to his own interests, he pulls out. It's very hard to get people who are in that mode to think of themselves as a part of we, to realize that there's no such thing as a solo journey. How do we get to this non-committal place in our history? He said, I think one of the main reasons has to do with the worship of self. This cultural selfishness destroys the self as well as our relationship to others. When we lose the sense of being connected to others in our society, we're tempted to think the whole point of life is the next promotion. Get more money, get more goods, create a private world for myself. The religious community, the church, is one of the few places we can attempt to build a sense of connectedness that rescues us from this focus on self. This focus on self pulls us out and pulls us into these separated places and our technology can cause us to even feel more separated by that. But one of the other reasons why we don't want to be engaged in relationship is we don't want the responsibility for the relationships around us. We don't want to be responsible both to share our own lives with someone else or to be responsible for someone else's life. This failure to... um, to engage in relationship, to be responsible and to pick up those responsibilities as at its baseline immaturity. And until we grow up and move past that, we can't have that kind of relationship. I was talking to someone recently. And they were saying this person I was talking to about the difficulties of engaging with the church, how the church had hurt them and their family, how the church had frustrated and disappointed them, and how many aspects of the church were hard to live with. The person I was speaking to was myself. And after years, decades in fact, of being engaged with the church, I reached the point of questioning the validity of that.
But I look at Scripture. I look at this baseline from which some of these values for the, the, the Western were derived that originally imbued some of the early sci-fi but now has been mostly abandoned. And I see the world that is now being created with the um, with just the trailing elements of these early values and perspectives. And while it is very tempting to draw into a world that we create ourselves, of, of only the people we really like, or only the situations and circumstances that please us, that, that don't really have any depth or challenge to it, that alternative disturbs me. And so I find at the end of the conversation myself coming back to the idea of a place where people can love one another, encourage one another, serve one another, instruct one another, honor one another, and be kind and compassionate to one another, even if those are not our original tendencies or desires. There was a pastor named John Stotts who died not too long ago. He made several statements in regards to church. One of them, he says, probably the greatest tragedy of the church throughout its long and checkered history has been its constant tendency to perform or to conform rather to the prevailing culture instead of to developing a Christian counterculture. Another statement he said is this, the Christian life is not just our own private affair. We've been born again into God's family. Not only has he become our father, but every Christian believer in the world, whatever his nation or denomination, has become our brother or sister in Christ. It is no good supposing that membership of the universal church of Christ is enough. We must belong to some local branch of it. Every Christian's place is in a local church, sharing in its worship, its fellowship, and its witness. Some have said that Jesus Christ was an avatar that he um, kind of fits the billing of, of this manifestation of God that comes to put all things right and in order. But we find in Christ a difference between that Hindu thought and that belief system because he says that he's the only path to salvation. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody comes otherwise. He says in John 3.18 that whoever believes in him is not condemned. In Luke 13, he tells us to repent. And so this belief in repent links us to Christ. And when we're linked to Christ, who is not just an avatar, but is literally God in the flesh, in real life, engaging us, coming to show us how to live, gathering believers around him, establishing the church. If that is true, then the church is an extension of that. And while the church is not perfect, being the bride of Christ, the kingdom of God, that thing that, that he is endeavoring to bring into existence in this world through the church is perfect and is worth living our lives out for and worth establishing relationship with one another despite the cost of that relationship. And so I choose rather than to withdraw from that and create some kind of 
fantasy arrangement that reflects only my own heart and issue, I choose to engage in the church. I choose to be involved in a place that can cause harm and damage to me as much as it can cause delight and joy. To have the parts of me that need to be trimmed and rubbed off by pushing against some of you as you push against me to have that and to stay committed to that. The question I have for you as we begin this process of, of discussing how we use the technology we have not to be afraid of it, but to realize there is a spiritual aspect to it. That when you sit down to that keyboard, that what you tap out has an impact upon somebody. That how addicted you are to various forms, and they have been designed in many cases specifically to be addictive, If you haven't explored Fortnite yet, then you're way behind the times. What is the baseline that shapes our thinking in how we engage in the technology? Or because it's technological, and therefore not specifically referenced in Scripture, does it pass by our thinking and escape outside our world and realm? World War I, early 1900s, there had been so many technological advances that occurred at the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s, so much so that at one point in time, the patent office considered disbanding, saying in the early 1900s, everything that could be invented has been invented. It was such a, a revolution of technology and all that went with it, that it fueled heavily a departure from Christian thought around the world in Europe and particularly America and um, heavily fueled something called humanism, the idea that, that, that humans are the ultimate and that we are creating our own world and we're just getting better and better and better and better and, and we're going to shape and do all these things. This was the mindset and then World War I hit and devastated the generation. Everyone who thinks we're getting beyond war and violence, that we're getting better and better, and all the things by ourselves. And then they go through the trench warfare and the horror and the mechanized aspect of it with machine guns and tanks and all that started to come into existence at that time. That the generation that survived World War I became referred to as the lost generation. Not because they were lost in the war. These are the ones who survived the war. These are the ones that came out of that war, though, with their illusions crushed with their ideals destroyed. The idea that humanism and mankind is reaching is a lie. We're, we're killing ourselves. We're, our technology has been used to devastate each other. And, and so they came out of that lost spiritually. Sinking into alcoholism and sinking into to other forms of, of distraction because they were so devastated because what they felt was the, the goal has been shredded before them. Now, we see in this generation, in this century, technology beyond anything they could have imagined in the 1900s. We see it expanding further and further, and there's something within the back of our heads that says, 
you know, we've got this. We finally have a handle on this stuff. We can solve most of the issues in the world. We hold in our hands, just with our phones alone, more technology than the entire Apollo program had to put someone on the moon. We've got this. And increasingly, we detach ourselves from a spiritual baseline, from an awareness of who God is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his Son from heaven and raised from the dead. Turn from idols. As we explore in this series in detail the idea of what it means to live out a life to engage with the technology and the creative power of what we have, I still am drawn to it. I still find the beauty in it. I still enjoy the different aspects of what's there. It's amazing what we can do today. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not out to sabotage those things or destroy, nor do I trash them out. All I want to say to you in this process is that there is a spiritual component to how we engage these, that if we aren't aware of it, if we're not tuned to it, if we don't have a baseline of values, then what happens is every one of the seven deadly sins can be facilitated in much grander fashion than ever before. Lust, you've got unending pornography in your hand, anytime, day or night. Greed, Amazon will meet your need, anytime, day or night, and now with drones that will drop it right on your porch after they've already listened into your conversation through Alexis. Every single one of these things are present. By themselves, are they wrong? No. But I think increasingly it's done within a spiritual vacuum. You have to say, what are the values? Who are you as a person? Realize that how you use these things reveals that. It, 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 it comes out in your postings. It comes out in your addictions and your fixations and all the different ways that you're caught up with that. Through this series, I want to challenge us to, to think a bit, to, to look into what values do we use, how do we make use of these things in a way without getting trapped into our own world or thinking that we're gods, to use them with humility, with thoughtfulness, with a consideration that says, no matter what it is I'm involved with, Christ is still at the center of that. I think it begins with church. I think it begins with not going into a virtual world, with being involved with one another and rubbing shoulders, with all the disappointments, all the challenges that brings. To stay committed and loyal and engaged. But to realize that even that can be a trap as we lift up the church as the ultimate thing. It is not. Christ is. talking about something that we may put else instead of this on this wall and, and maybe in this next year or so we'll come up with another good idea that, that we'll have to recommit ourselves to one another but until then this still stands and I still love it because each one of those those surveyor sticks represents a family but it's not about necessarily the family it's about that rock that stands in the center which is Christ 
So this morning, as we just initiate this series, I challenge you, what is your value? What is your baseline? If Christ is truly the king of your heart, then realize one way or the other, it's going to show in how you use these various items. And if he is king of your heart, then his church needs to be a central part of that as well. followers of you and making use of the fantastic tools that are at our hands. Realizing that it reveals things about us and our motives and our own nature. That somehow through this conversation you would be glorified and we would walk in freedom and in peace with one another. Challenge us continues to unfold. I'm glad you guys didn't send your avatars this morning. I'm glad you're here in the flesh. Normally we would be having people afterwards that would physically hold your hand and pray with you, but we've got this new um, server called God, and you can log in at any time with your prayers directly to that server. So we won't be doing any more prayer as a result. There'll be individuals of flesh and blood that will be here the moment we finish right now. And if you want to hold their hand and have them hold theirs and have someone pray with you, they will do that. And when you have an issue in your life and you want to talk to someone, not randomly through some prayer line, you can call us. You can email us. We do that too. I don't. I read everything, I respond to nothing. Because I want to see you, and I want to talk to you, and I want to hold your hand, I want to look in your face. And because I type very slowly. But I read very fast. And so we use the technology that we have. But in the midst of that, let's not imagine that we are gods. And let's not idolize those things. There's only one king of our heart. And he established a community that was designed to have contact with one another even when it's disappointing at times. Father, I thank you for your church. With all its blemishes, there's still nothing quite like it. But Lord, I pray that we'd not even lift that up beyond our worship of you. It is that worship and and draw to you that draws us together and forms us as your church. Educate us on these things. Establish your kingdom within our hearts, I pray. Instruct us in these things I ask. In Jesus' name.